Well, we continue this morning in our series in Acts. It is good to be back with you. Uh, I took a week uh, to be with my family, my dad's 90th birthday, a couple weeks ago. And then we were at Pastors Conference this past week up in uh, Hume Lake. And it was a tremendous, I've told a few people, I felt like it was the best one I've, I've attended in 22, 23 years. Just tremendous edification. And uh, so uh, thank you for holding down the fort while we were gone. And so it is good to be back here, revitalized, ready to go. So this morning as we look in Acts, we come upon a very interesting polemic in Paul's life. Paul was told at his conversion that he would suffer for the Lord. We've been with Paul in Jerusalem for the past few weeks now, starting in chapter 22. And we have seen some of the fruition of this prophecy that Ananias laid before him after his conversion experience on the Damascus Road. So this morning, we pick up where the crowds have gathered. The crowds were ready to kill Paul, and he has this engagement with the Roman Tribune. And the Roman Tribune literally pulls him from the clutches of the crowd, seeking to tear him to pieces, and saves him. Now the tribune has a problem, and it becomes a political problem. He has a crowd that wants blood, but at the same time he knows the law. And Paul confronts him with the law as he's about to be beaten, and suddenly he realizes he has no recourse. So what does he do? He plays politics, just like any good soldier probably would. And so now he does exactly what we have seen a couple decades prior when it came to Christ, in that same crowd, wanting blood from Christ, wanting him killed, and Pilate not knowing what to do with him. And Jesus gets tossed back and forth between Herod, between Pilate, between the high priest. And this morning we find ourselves in that same triangle. So the tribune takes Paul to the, to the, 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 the council. Now, I hesitate in saying that because I don't really know that you've got a high priest in there, you've got Sadducees, you've got Pharisees. It's hard to describe this for you, but it was a council made up so that there could be judgment passed in certain situations. And all three of these political parties are in attendance. The executive branch, the House, and the Senate. However you want to look at it, folks. The judiciary. And uh, so this morning we're talking about testify. Acts 23, 1 through 11. And I want you to think about that old song, that standard song, Stand By Me. Right? Many of you are familiar with it. And uh, many of you may not know that originally that song was taken from the Psalms. And there is a beauty to some of these lyrics that were written as an old gospel. And this idea of standing by me, regardless of the mountains falling or, or the moon turning to cheese. I don't remember the lyrics, but, you know, something like that, right? That no matter what, I can make it through if you what? If you only stand by me. So we're going to see how that applies today to what God is requiring of Paul. Let me ask you a question. 
Have you ever had to stand up for someone or has anybody ever had to stand up for you? Take a moment and think if that's ever happened in your life. Gotcha, Jenny. Rhetorical question. Conversely, have you ever had the opportunity to stand up for someone else? We have a current situation in our country. Now, some of you might start getting really nervous that I'm going to go political. I'm not going to go political. I just talk to the obvious because there's nothing new under the sun. So we have a gentleman named Mr. Kavanaugh, and there's these hearings to appoint him, and there's high scrutiny, and there's a huge uh, a schism right down the middle as to who wants him and who doesn't want him. And now there is a testimony to be brought forward by an individual, Miss Ford. And there is a testimony that needs to be heard. It's not unlike what's going to happen here in these pages as we look at it verse by verse. I think back to my ordination council. And when you're ordained, there's, there's processes that you go through. Each church, each denomination has a little bit different, but for the free church... It's an arduous task. We take the whole belief statement and the distinctives of the free church and you are grilled for four and a half hours by a council of pastors. And one of the old tried and true tricks of surviving your ordination council I think was taken from this passage. And you'll see, because it was a beautiful moment when I got to have these other pastors start to get into a discussion with one another. See, the clock is ticking on your ordination council. And, and the more they start conversing with each other and challenging each other about these ideas, the more you don't have to answer any questions. It's a beautiful moment. And believe it or not, that's exactly what Paul does very intentionally here. So it's a little fascinating what we're about to see, what we're about to unlock. And how does this work in the real world? What does it mean to stand up for Jesus, it means to testify. It means to testify. So let's look at Paul's opening statement. Brad, correct me if I get outside of my jurisprudence here. Uh, we're going to go with a legal theme this morning since we're there anyway. Let's look at verse 1 of chapter 23. And just remember, the tribune has brought Paul before the council. And here we go. 23 verse 1. Let's see if I can get it up there says this, and looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. Opening statement. Opening statement. Let's, let's examine a couple things that really don't matter. You ready? These things really don't matter. But often this is what pastors do. All right? If I really wanted to be impressed with my preaching ability, I would want to get in and start parsing some of the Greek. So let's look at the first word we should probably do that with. Let me help you understand how we do that. So the first key word is intently. If I'm going to help you understand the scene and the scope of all of this, then understand that we start with this word. Are you uncomfortable yet, Damon? How about now? Okay, good. Now, I could have done it that way, or I could tell you that the Greek means to draw out a gaze. Now, you could just read it that Paul looks at the people and he says, hey, up till this moment, I have lived for God 
My conscience is clear. That's great. Okay, we got all that. But it's much more dramatic, isn't it? Luke uses his words clearly, and he says that he just looked right at Anna, right at a Sadducee, right at a Pharisee. I, I would take a drink right about now, too, Carrie. Looks intently, and then he says, I have lived my life before God, before God, and I've lived it righteously. Microphone drop. Now that plays out a little bit better, right? So when I tell you that the Greek here for intensely, is it intensely? No, it's intently, right? It means to draw out the gaze. Now, let me ask you a simple question. Because I, I executed that masterfully, I would have gotten an A in my sermon prep class, probably, if I ever had sermon prep. And what's more important that you know about that word or the words Paul actually uses? What you need, what I need to capture here is that Paul says this, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. Because it's not how you manipulate the moment. It's not the drama with how you execute the message. It's the veracity and the credibility of what you are saying. We see this in politics all the time, don't we? And so many people get swayed because of drama. Now, I'm not saying there isn't a purpose behind that word, but what I'm saying is what you need to look at for the opening statement is the veracity and credibility of what Paul's claiming. What is he truly saying here? Would we think to make the same? Could we make the same declaration? This is a powerful opening statement. You want to accuse me? You want to come after me? Before you say a word, let me just testify... I have lived my life before God with good conscience. Bring it. There's your opening statement. What does it mean to stand up for Jesus? It means to testify with credibility. It was funny, the other day as I was going through a certain coffee area, I was having a conversation with a minister of coffee. You call them baristas, I call them ministers. And... Uh, and so somehow in the discussion, it came about that he's, he's a referee for soccer. How many of you would love to be a referee for anything? Sometimes you've got to step up and you've got to make the call. Can you imagine? We were at a baseball game last night. Can you imagine? Pitch is thrown and the referee just stands there. He's like, I, I really don't want to make that call because like, some of the people here are from Minnesota and they're not going to like me if I call strike. But then some of the people here are for the A's. Actually, most of the people here are for the A's. And they're in a pennant race. I should probably call it as a ball. And then it's like, this is just too much pressure. I'm not going to call anything. What happens in that situation? The game stops. It's so fun to watch you when I ask, do you want to be a referee? Here's the reality for you and I, brothers and sisters, is that Jesus has asked us to testify. But our, our nature is such that we want to shrink back. We do not want to put ourselves out there. Because if we do, we open ourselves to scrutiny. We open ourselves up to 
lack of control, we open ourselves up to possibility. Who knows where Jesus might take something if I make myself available? That could be really dangerous. Opening statements. You know, Paul didn't hesitate when he was asked to stand and testify and make the call. Next, he's held in contempt. Two through five, let's read it. This is fascinating. So starting in verse two, it says, In the high priest, Ananias, commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. We're off to a great start. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. That's a very Jesus-style answer, isn't it? All that Jesus love and granola, right? Actually, it is very much a Jesus answer. Because if you go back to the, the Gospels, you probably remember where Jesus confronted the Pharisees and called them whitewashed tombs, taking that which was grossly desecrated and just painting over it, trying to pretend, trying to pretend as if there's something honorable here or it's not defiled. And so Paul uses his words very specifically. Well, what happened to turn the other cheek? Paul, why didn't you turn the other cheek? Brothers and sisters, there's a time that's something we can learn here is that there's an issue there's a time for us to be held in contempt far too often the church is silent on things that matter to the lord and we just take this passive back alley attitude of i'm not going to get involved god's given me permission under grace not to go out and share jesus christ only mormons are required to do that and they've got it wrong, so I don't, you know, let's just be clear, I'm under grace. I don't really need to testify. I can make this choice. But Paul didn't, did he? As a matter of fact, when he was struck on the face, you know why he responded the way that he did? Because it was illegal. It was illegal. And Paul references, and I can give you all this back reference material out of Deuteronomy and out of Leviticus, but and out of Exodus, and, and so he quotes Scripture, basically, because he's talking to those that were the experts. It's as if your lawyer would step up and say, he's guilty, <laughs> and just throw you under the bus. You're like, wait, I object. You know, no, he's guilty. No, you know, wait, you can't do that to me, right? Contempt. He's held in contempt. It was illegal for him to be struck because that presented condemnation. It, it presented consequence. It was a pronouncement of guilt. And yet Paul had not even been tried yet. And so he quoted Old Testament Scripture to those that would know it. Now what's interesting is Ananias, that which is, he, is, who, he who is listed as the high priest at this time, uh, he ruled roughly from 58 to 68 A.D., and this is according to that great prolific historian sellout uh, to the Roman mind, Josephus, and he wasn't well-liked. He was kind of a sellout to the Roman uh, uh, power struggle, and so his own people really didn't appreciate him as well. And so you see the tribune working with Ananias. You see all this happening, and Ananias doesn't like where Paul is going with his opening statement, so he commands that he be struck in the face. 
So Paul comes back immediately and quotes scripture that these gentlemen would know. He's saying, you are out of your boundaries. You are out of your lane. You want to act like you're ruling under God's voice, but you are way out of line, is what he's saying. So he, it's not so much that Paul's being held in contempt. Paul's holding those that are over him in contempt. Paul addresses him like Jesus addressed the Pharisees because of their hypocrisy. Paul verifies his opening statement with his apology for his disrespect against the office. Did you hear where we're going with this? Let me finish it out. So he gets struck in the face. He calls them a whitewashed wall and he says, Are you sitting to judge me according to the law and yet contrary to the law you order me to be struck? Those who stood by said... Would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. He wasn't wearing his high priest name tag that day. Said high priest. For it is written, now Paul goes back and he quotes the same scripture. What has Paul done? He's held this group in accountability. I don't know why I just lost my vocal. Uh, but you can hear me, right? Okay. Paul starts with holding this sense of accountability according to the law. Now what happens is it's revealed that the one who ordered him to be struck is the high priest. And so he's made an accusation against the high priest, which the law also says, and Paul quotes it, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Is there something for us to learn here about contempt? Now Paul appropriately confronted Ananias. And, and I can, here I go again. I'm up, I'm standing. Here we go. This is where we lose time. I could talk all about why Paul didn't know who Ananias is. Is that going to inspire you? Is that going to help you? I can talk about that. We can get all into who Ananias was and, and why Paul wouldn't have understood. That's not the point. The point for us to learn this morning in this section is that Paul holds this council accountable according to the law, which is what they operated by. You see this? And then they came back and said to him, you dare speak ill of the high priest? Now, was he justified in speaking ill of the high priest? Yes. But if he's going to quote the law, if he's going to demand that people operate by the law, Paul stays consistent. He throws away his own agenda and he acquiesces to what is happening out of respect and deferment to the court. Because he has a higher court, and that is God's law. So whether or not Ananias was justified in having him struck, Paul says, my apologies to the court, I did not know that was the high priest. There are many who would argue that Paul was justified in calling him out. Of course he was justified in calling him out. But Paul course corrects because he has someone more important that he's coming underneath. He has someone standing by him that if he wants the Lord to continue to stand by him, he needs to honor the Lord and let the Lord take care of the details. Amen? So watch what happens. So he was held in contempt. Paul verifies his opening statement with his apology for his disrespect against the office of high priest. So he's staying consistent. He's not bouncing around for his own agenda. But let's go to the next point this morning. 
He was held in contempt. Let's look at cross-examination. How am I doing, Brad? Fantastic. For those of you who are wondering why I keep asking Brad, um, Brad's in plumbing. And I just always ask my plumber legal, legal advice. You can check all that after service, what that nonsense was right there. So let's look at verses 6 through 10, shall we? Now when Paul perceived, actually, stop. This cross-examination leads to redirection. One of the challenges we have in testifying for the Lord is very simple. It's very real, isn't it? You're like, well, how do I know? What are you going to say? Let me give it to you. Here's one of the largest reasons we shirk back from testifying for the Lord. What if I mess it up? Right? What if I say the wrong thing? You know what? The reality of that is that's just fear of saying the wrong thing. I want you to see what happens in the middle of this. Because I could simply tell you that the Scripture tells you, Jesus tells you, that the Holy Spirit will give you the answers when you need them. Right? We know that, right? But have you ever seen an example of it from the, from the pulpit whenever a pastor declares that? We go to the passage, right? I could cite John 14. I could cite uh, you know, Romans 8. I could, there's, there's a lot of areas I could cite in principle, and the principle stands true. But what you are about to see is this really, truly happen in real time. What's happened so far? Opening statement, boom, mic drop. Judge gets ticked, hit him. Bailiff, Wapner's sock to the, what was that, Llewellyn? Yeah, Bailiff Llewellyn was Wapner's bailiff. All right, Llewellyn, smack him. Boom, gets smacked. Paul goes on this tirade. Who do you think you guys are? Hey, wait a minute, don't you know that's the high priest? You following all this? We've we've gone over this. And so now it gets to this point, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I just kind of broke rhythm with what I was just even quoting. So my apologies. Hmm. We've had all that happen. And the tension's building. What would you do? Let's see what happens in this court. It is implied, it is not stated. Check me if you think I'm way off base. This is me speaking, this is not the Lord. But I think what happens here is exactly what we talk about as preachers, as teachers, where the Holy Spirit gave some wisdom in the moment to Paul in how to continue to testify. Is this a legitimate court? Of course it's not. Do they want him dead just like Christ? Of course they do. Does he have a chance in the world? Of course he doesn't. Does he know this is the end? No. He knows there's more to come. And that's going to be verified at the end. So what happens? I believe that the Holy Spirit helps Paul see something in the midst of his trial. And it's a stroke of genius. Folks, it's understanding your environment. It's understanding the people that are across from you. And this is called cross-examination. It says, and when, this is the verse I want you to focus on. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. What does this sound like in America? Yes, Congress, in case you needed help. It sounds like our leadership. 
And Paul saw it all in front of him. And look at the masterful strokes that he does. Because now he has to operate within the lanes, right? What are his options? He already knows what this group did to Jesus. What is he going to say? I don't think it gets any more difficult. I don't think you and I are ever going to face a, a, a testifying moment as difficult as Paul does in this moment. And look at what God shows him to do. This is brilliant. And when Paul had perceived, that would be a word that you would want to study if you were reading the text. This is a clue word. And Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees. He cried out in the council, Brothers, I'm a Pharisee, a son of the Pharisee. Oh boy. He just called himself a Democrat. Yeah, I went there. It is with respect to the hope of the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. Where did he just go? He went to a dead zone. He went to a hot button. He went to a, a conflagration. He went to what's called a straw man argument. It was brilliant. First of all, he's not lying. That's why he's on trial. And what we can take from this, brothers and sisters, is that when you testify, I encourage you to do exactly what Paul does. Because everything hinges on the resurrection. We as, as believers in Jesus Christ often mark ourselves with a cross, right? We have crosses in churches all over the place. You know how many people died on crosses in history? I don't. <laughs> but a lot. Not just Christ. So that cross could have a lot of signification for a lot of different people. But you know what, what has signification that, that has power behind it? Anybody can die on a cross. But what is it that truly has the power that sets apart the whole message of Christ and brings hope and eternal life? It is the resurrection. So let's put a picture up in all of our churches of the resurrection. It's harder to put up an empty tomb because nobody knows what that looks like. And it, it would be a weird thing to put up on a wall. We don't know what, we can, how do you put an empty tomb on a chain? I don't know how you do it. Let me help you out. Who's on that cross? I, I, I want to tell you, stop looking at the cross when you see the cross. But it's significant, so I won't tell you that. What I will tell you is this. When you look at the cross, see the cross for what it serves, so the purpose and, and the beautiful salvation message that it brought but look at an empty cross. There's your resurrection. And that's why Paul goes right to this. Brothers and sisters, when you get the chance to testify, go to the resurrection because it provides hope. Nobody else gets to claim this. Nobody else gets to claim this. And look at what happens. It's a brilliant stroke of genius because God is standing by his man. So he goes, to the, he goes to the resurrection, which is true. It's the reality of what's going on. And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he... Oh, I'm sorry. Let me, let me go down. Brothers, I am a Pharisee, the son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Great ordination council technique. And the assembly was divided. Now Paul's out of the 
picture, watch this. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisee party stood up and contended sharply. Oh, this is beautiful. But we find nothing wrong with the witness. We actually think he's a pretty good guy. Are you kidding? The Tribune's got to be sitting up in the gallery saying, what just happened? You guys all came together because you wanted him killed, and now all of a sudden... Half of you are like, oh, uh, we're going to make him an honorary member. As a matter of fact, he just talked to us about the fact that he was a Pharisee. Oh, yeah, I remember. He, was kinda, he went with Gamaliel's school. Yeah, this guy's pretty important. He's one of us. We find nothing wrong with this guy. Does it sound like our politics? Paul throws out a straw man argument to get the whole focus off of him and to make it about an argument between these two groups. And I believe God gave him that message. When being cross-examined, I believe God gives us messages when we're testifying that makes people deal with the principles and not the person. Does that make sense? When you testify, make it about the principles and not the person. They said, we find nothing wrong with this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, well, let's just, let's just stop. No, I, I, already, I already said that. You can't stop with violence. And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him back to the barracks. Does this sound like what happened to Christ? Just bounce him back and forth. Bounce him back and forth. So now this group failed to convict and we've got a mistrial. How am I doing, Brad? All right. So we've got a mistrial. The truth comes out, but the verdict is belayed. The verdict is belayed, and you saw that in, in verse 10. So God's purpose, and, and you heard me just read it, God's purpose is being served. Remember, he says, Paul, you're going to go to Jerusalem. You're going to testify in my name. What did he just do? He just threw the complete power of the gospel in front of the religious rulers of the day. Made them deal with Christ and not Paul. Brothers and sisters, when we testify, help individuals that you're talking with, that you have counsel with. Make them do business and counsel with the Lord, not yourself. Amen? Because that's really where we get the truth. That's really where we get good counsel. That's really where we need to stay focused. And when that becomes the, the pivot point, then it's not so much about me anymore. And that's what happens to Paul. So we have a mistrial. We're, we're, we're done here with this guy. God's purpose is being served ultimately. Right? God said, you need to go testify. Did he testify? Yeah, he testified. Where's Paul now? Being torn to pieces? Almost. But no, he's been saved again. This is three times in one chapter. We're so fearful to testify because of what will happen to us. Look at what Paul did, and he did it masterfully. Was he fearful? We don't know, but I'm willing to bet he probably was. And the only way that he accomplished what he accomplished was because he knew who stood with him. The only reason he was able to testify is because he knew who stood with him. 
And that is indicative of his opening comment. God's desire is simply that Paul testify to his experience of Jesus. God stands by Paul and creates the maelstrom to defend Paul. You know, in the moment, God is there. And sometimes we walk away from an event where we have shared or we have testified and we feel like it all became just this big mess and yet God works in the midst of that mess. History dictates that several of these Sadducees, several, several of these Pharisees actually ended up coming into the faith. We don't know if it was from this conversation, but we know that they came into the faith. Well, that leads us to the appeal. I don't really know. I'm, I'm going way out here because you would probably, if you had a mistrial, you would, you would set up another trial under different circumstances. But I'm just going to go straight to appeal. And why am I going to do that? Because it serves my purpose. And here's the reality. In verse 11, let's look at it. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Jesus stood by Paul. He accomplished what he desired in Jerusalem when he told Paul this same thing about you've got to go into Jerusalem and you've got to testify. Multiple times Paul's life was in danger and yet the Lord stood by him, the Lord stood by him, the Lord stood by him. And God's will was served and people's lives were changed because of that. Did Paul know how it was all going to work out? No, he just obeyed. He just testified in obedience but now the Lord comes to him the following night and he has an appeal he says you're not done <laughs> no Paul you're not done you got to go do this again first of all you're gonna do it in Caesarea we'll see that next week you're gonna do it in Caesarea and then you're gonna go all the way to Rome Paul has to take courage this is what the Lord says to him this is the first part of God's message to Paul you've got to take courage again this in, insinuates that Paul felt weak, that Paul felt unsure of himself and needed another bolster from the Lord. And the Lord showed up. The Lord stood by him. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you've gone through multiple trials. And when you go through that trial, you think to yourself, okay, I did that. Through God's strength, I did it. Thank God we're through it. Thank God it's over. But the Lord may say to you, mm, you're not done. I need you to go to Rome. The Lord says to you, take courage. The Lord says to you, take courage. The Lord says to you, just like He says to Paul, I will be there with you. I will never leave you or what? Forsake you. Now, does that mean it's going to turn out great in our eyes, in human eyes for Paul in Rome? No. But did Paul gladly go to his martyrdom? Yes. Because that was what was required of Paul. You see, Paul died a death that he inflicted on many. And that was prophesied all the way back at his conversion. That this was going to happen. And yet Paul continued to testify for the Lord. God understands that we need courage. So if he's going to ask us to testify... He's going to give you the courage and He's going to stand with you. And what I want you to understand, brothers and sisters, from verse 11 is we may make it over one hill and we may think, thank you, God. That's fantastic. 
we really grew together. Yes, I'm so close with God. And now I get to coast downhill. I have a pastor friend that always talks about hills. I'm going, I, I just need to get over the hill, man. I just need to get over the hill. And I love the downhill. And I keep saying, what makes you think that there's ever a downhill while we're here? You know, there, there might be little breaks and then we got to go again. And then, you know, it might flatten out. There might be an occasional, you know, coast. But, but get ready because it's, it's just coming again. And many of us may be in that world right now. Take courage. That's the message. I want to share with you what it looks like because I felt like what we should do is not just be hearers of the word. Paul testifies. He honors God with his testimony. This is a beautiful picture. He makes a great opening statement. When he sees those and he starts to understand those that are in front of him, he then just speaks to the principles of the resurrection and they become engaged in the godly principle, not the man. Brothers and sisters, when you testify about Christ, testify about him, not always about yourself. The message of Christ working in you will be powerful and the Lord will use that, but take them to the resurrection. Amen? Next, take courage. Just like the Lord said, understand He is with you. He is going to stand by you. So I really wanted us to not just be hearers of the Word this morning, but to be doers of the Word. So we're going to give you a chance to testify how Jesus has stood by you. Or we could be just like hundreds of thousands of other churches where I just speak to you and, you know, I've done my duty this morning and we've been in the Word, we've executed that really well and we go home and we, you know, barbecue, we turn on the football game or we do some gardening and, and we just move forward with the rest of our lives. Not here. Not a conquered Bible church. We're going to live what Scripture says and we're going to give you a chance to testify. So I just want you to think, what is it that Jesus has done for you? And understand that if He prompts you to speak about what He has done for you, you've heard a great message about how He's with you and how He will carry you. You've heard a message about how to testify. So think through this. But as I was compelled to make this move, Something showed up on my Facebook feed this week that confirmed this is exactly what we were supposed to do this morning. This is from one of our people. And it just happened to show up September 19th after this message was already done. I may lose friends over this, so be it. I am a Christian and I love Jesus Christ. Despite the fact that I'm human, and come short of His glory, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, was crucified on the cross, died for my sins, and rose again on the third day to give me salvation. He loves me dearly and forgave my sins. His Word, the Holy Bible, says, if I deny Him before men, He will deny me before His Father in heaven. This is the best challenge I've ever seen on Facebook. So if you love Him and you're not ashamed, copy and paste. I'm going to encourage you to copy and paste verbally um, even now. And you, you don't have to come up on stage. That would take way too much time. You can just share from where you are and raise your hand and, and proclaim and testify just like Lisa Murphy did to the world. What is it that Jesus has done for you?
Yes, Nancy. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing, Nancy. Anyone else? Yes, Nancy. If your name is Nancy, you have to testify today. He's standing by you. Others. Better hurry up or I'm going to have you slapped across the face. Oh, now hands are flying. Uh, uh, Scott, go ahead. Oh, Nancy. Okay. Completes the transaction. Nancy and then Scott. Thank you, Nancy. Scott?
That's right. That's right. Always standing by you. Robin. Thank you. That's so encouraging. That's so encouraging. I'm going to ask um, one of our members to come up and just pray. Just pray over these testimonies. But, but also, there's a lot happening for the women of our church coming up. And so I'm going to ask her to pray uh, over that aspect as well. And so, uh, Ms. Janine Cook, could you please come up and, and pray over... Yes, the, the hand held there. And the band, you can come up during prayer and we'll continue in worship today. Continue to give time. 